millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Now, one of the joys of presenting this podcast is the emails I receive on a regular basis from all of our excellent listenership. Here is a cracker from Trish Strachan. Dear Sam... I've enjoyed many of your TV programmes and I'm watching your secrets of the Jurassic Coast today. You showed the Napoli anchor at Branscombe, which is a stockless anchor. My great-grandfather, William Wastony Smith, invented the stockless anchor in the 1870s and held the patent for it. I have his blueprints, the volumes listing every vessel in the world fitted with his anchor, from navies to the Kaiser's personal yacht and more. You're welcome to look at this if it's of interest. Best wishes, Trish. Brilliant. Loved it. So, of course, I got in touch with Trish, who agreed to come on and talk about Anchors and her great-grandfather, the brilliantly named William Wastonese Smith. I love the fact that of his double-barrelled name, one is extremely unusual, Wastonese, and the other is extremely normal, Smith. He sounds like an interesting chap. I should say that to go with this episode, we've made a brilliant little animation explaining a little about the history of anchors and the particular advantages of the stockless anchor. You can find the full video on the Mariner's Mirror YouTube and there are clips of it on TikTok as well, one of which has been seen nearly a million times. So proof there is a healthy appetite out there for the history of anchors. I'm constantly amazed by and proud of the general public's appetite for what some might consider obscure history. I'm having none of it. Everyone is clearly interested in the history of anchors. Give yourselves a big pat on the back. Before we begin, I should at least explain what a stockless anchor is. For those of you who have not yet seen our animation and can't visualise one, well, it was a simple but clever design which presented many advantages over traditional anchors. Previous anchors were fitted with a stock. It was a rod set at an angle to the flukes, which were the pointy bits that dig into the seabed. Now, having a rod at a right angle to the flukes meant that it helped the flukes find the right orientation to bite. This feature, however, caused the anchor to be an awkward shape, requiring davits suspended over the bows to raise or lower the anchors and prevent damage to the hull in the process. The ship also needed an anchor bed platform for storing the anchor when not in use. 
The stockless anchor, yes, you guessed it, well, it didn't have a stock, it didn't have that rod, and the flukes pivoted against the main shank. This pivoting action helped the flukes bite, and the lack of the stock meant that the anchors were more easy to manoeuvre when raising or lowering, and crucially, when storing them, because they could be drawn up into the horse hole. Due to the simple geometrical design of the stockless anchor, it was also capable of free-falling through water much faster when it was required. As with all of the best technological inventions, it was simple and manifestly a better design and required someone with a touch of genius to think it up. Well, that man was William Wastony Smith, and to tell us more, here is his great-granddaughter. Here is Trish. Trish, thank you very much indeed for joining me this afternoon. It's a pleasure, Sam. Let's tell everyone first how uh, how we got in touch with each other, because this is this is the kind of the, the last of a series of communications. You got in touch. You had something special to show me. Tell me what it was. Well, I was watching one of your programmes. Uh, you were um, visiting um, the rivers along the southwest, and I saw you stop at a very large anchor. So I got in touch to you and said, uh, it might be of interest to tell you about my great-grandfather who invented the stockless anchor. And so we carried on from there. Yeah, and you, what you did is you sent me a, a... It was like a kind of classic blueprint. Yes. Um, it was on a piece of blue blue paper with white drawings of this stockless anchor. I should say now that I've... Since I was so impressed with this lovely technical drawing of an anchor that I've had it animated and we've created a wonderful animation of a giant rusty anchor that grows out of the technical drawing. It's um, it's really good fun. And I'd urge all of our listeners to seek that out. You can find it on uh, Facebook. It'll be on Instagram. It'll also be on TikTok. And it'll be on YouTube. So do please look at that. Um, tell us about that drawing. Where, where did you... Do, do you have it just lying around your house? No. Um, I In fact, I have a whole folder of blueprints, of drawings of different size anchors, because our anchors were made to different specifications depending on the ship. My great-grandfather was born in 1838. He joined the Navy. He was an engineer. And when he left the Navy, he, um, he had been a railway engineer. But then he, uh, because of his naval experiences, he saw that um, improvements needed to be made with anchors. And uh, the, and it was a family business. So I found all the paperwork when my father died. Um, and they were box. I found cardboard boxes of um, all the paperwork and memorabilia in the warehouse mm. and took it home and started looking through it and was amazed. I always knew about the stock to Sanker, but I didn't know anything more than that. Mm. What do you mean by in the warehouse? Is this a warehouse where people made anchors? No, we had the anchors made at a steelworks along the time. So my great-grandfather designed them, uh, drew them up to, spec to the specifications for each ship. So I've got registers of every ship around the world that had them with all the measurements, the weights and any notes as to any um, details that needed to be added to them. Ah, so they were all kind of custom built. So if, yes. if someone had a specific ship of a specific size, they got in touch and then, and then your great-grandfather designed one. Do we know if there was much competition at the time for anchor design or was he kind of ploughing a lonely furrow? When I researched this, um, a stockless anchor was invented in 1821, but my great-grandfather came up with alterations to this and he, he was given the patent in 1871. 
for his anchor, mm. which then had to be tested, go on sea trials. So one of the sea trials, uh, this was on living on Tyneside, uh, he had to take the anchor all the way to the Southern Ireland um, for the Navy to take out on sea trials. But they also um, tested them by dropping them from certain heights onto a hard surface to make sure that um, how strong they were. And then I have got reports from the naval captains um, who compare our anchors to previous anchors and saying what the improvements were and why they were necessary. Yeah, they're, they're a wonderful, a wonderful resource. I think we might get a few of them read out maybe at the end of this podcast so we can hear them. Um, when did you first start getting interested in this amazing bit of family history? I grew up knowing about this, um, the Stockton's Anchor um, because we've got five, six bronze uh, models of the anchors. So I always knew about it, but I, and it was one of those things after my father died that I had the boxes and I thought one day I will um, sort through it and learn a lot more about it. But it was really thanks to you, Sam, that you asked <laughs> specific questions. So it made me get, open the boxes and sort everything out and actually read through them and learn much more about them. Yeah, I'd had a little search this morning and I see, it's interesting you said you've got these um, models of anchors. It seems they were, they were a kind of salesman's tool that they could carry around and show people. Do you know anything about that? They, I've got two wooden ones which look hand-carved and they're oh. in special um, boxes. So they may well have been, as, as, as you say, sales tools. But we have... We produced anchors for every size. So 1871, the first patent, and they went to the navies. But in um, 1885, we, well, my great-grandfather developed the anchor versions for canoes and for private yachts hmm. and barges. So every sort of size. Um, so I think the salesman's tools were probably more of an example because then he went on to exhibit at various industrial exhibitions as well. Talking about the different sizes of anchors, I find it fascinating because the design clearly works with all sorts of different sizes of ships. And I've seen very small ones, but also sort of inconceivably enormous anchors that were made. Um, do we know if he had uh, much trouble getting the patent uh, through, getting it granted to him? I haven't got a lot of paperwork for the initial patent, but I've got a lot um, of letters and uh, testimonials and submissions uh, when it was renewed. These had to be submitted to the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council. Wow. So I've got, um, I've got a lot of detail to do with that. And I've also got scrapbooks of cuttings from newspapers where there have been articles written about the anchor. And there was one competitor in particular who sort of queried it, Cornelius Martin, the Martin's anchor, but I've, but in these testimonials, the cap, the naval captains have said that they t they tried both of them, and the, the Wasney Smith anchor was more efficient and more reliable. So mm. he he did have to keep proving it constantly, and I got certificates for test trials constantly being tested. It's interesting that you said he had to have it renewed. Did a patent run out? Yes, it was only for a certain time. Uh, so the initial one was in 1871, and then in 1885 it was extended again. But I understand that you could only do that once, so that's two, two patents, if you like, and then after that it was open to anyone to, to copy. But 
we continue to supply anchors to navies all around the world. Mm. And I've got all the orders for them. Fantastic. Yes. Give us a, a, some, some examples of navies around the world that got your anchors. Uh, well, the largest anchors we supplied at the time were 10 tonnes each, and they went to HMS Hood, which was sunk by the Bismarck. And then I've got letters from Japan, mm-hmm. from Japanese naval Navy. Um, had naval from naval architects who came to stay with my great grandfather on Tyneside to look at the anchors and then ordered them for Japanese cruisers, Australia, um, Canada. I mean, Europe, the Asia, all over the world. It's fascinating. You mentioned Tyneside as well because I've been up at the. Discovery Museum and New- the wonderful Discovery Museum in mm. Newcastle recently, where they have a, a fabulous collection of ship models, and um, they've got models of some of the Japanese ships that they built, and this would have been at exactly that time. And that's made me want to go back because I'm certain that on the bows of those ships are going to be little beautiful models of your great grandfather's anchors. Um, I'm going to I'm going to look at that this afternoon and send you photos. That's very exciting. Thank you. I think as well I've got um, a big a brochure. If you go back to Newcastle, there was a special steamship, a revolutionary steamship called the Turbinia. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, we supplied the anchors to that as well. Ah, so that was a Turbinia. Um, I'm talking off the top of my head, but I think it was from the name of it, the first vessel with a turbine engine. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I think so right? too. Yeah. Yes, a beautiful, fast, long thing, and actually, the 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 entire vessel is in the um, inside the the Discovery Museum, the main hall, as you walk in there. So it's a wonderful artifact. That's right. I'm going to make sure I look at her her anchors as well. So these stockless anchors, can you just tell us a bit for those people who don't know what a stockless anchor is, or what it looks like, or how it works? Can you give us a rundown? Well, a traditional anchor, which I think most people think of, is a sort of basically a T-shape and it's a solid one piece. But the problem with that is that they uh, there was no movement in it. So if they got caught on the seabed or on a rock that and they couldn't release it, they would have to cut cut the cable cut the, and lose the anchor. It was also, they then tried to putting the stock, which is the cross piece, at an angle. But that made it very bulky if it lay on the deck. It was a bit of storage. Whereas a stockless anchor has no cross piece and the flukes at the bottom are articulated so they can move separately from each other, which means that there's more options on a hard sea bottom or a soft sea bottom and it could cant as well to release. It also meant that um, they used less cable but then uh, my great-grandfather went on to develop so that when they weighed anchor, instead of it having to be stored on the, on the deck, it would be stored up and the, most of the shank of the anchor would go through the hawse, as long as the hawse was big enough, so it would lay flat against the side of the ship. Because reading some of the reports, that was one of the problems. If ships were moored close to each other, there would be something sticking out and it could bump into damage neighbouring ships as well. The other thing which I never hadn't thought of, but by being stockless and articulated, was that they came in sep- in different parts, so that it was easy for a ship to take um, spares. Ah. It, they didn't have to replace the whole anchor; they could just replace depending on the sea bottom where they were or any damage. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It was easy for them to repair. And it just takes a little glance of it to know that it's a brilliant, brilliant design. And I suppose the, the corresponding size of that is if you go to HMS Victory, for example, and you have a look at the state of her anchors, I can't quite believe it took people this long to work out how to design one. Because, you know, Victory's anchors are... are colossal um, and also incredibly bulky. They have to be hauled up with these kind of cat heads on the side and then you can't stall them because every time you turn it round, there's another thing at a right angle sticking out. Very cumbersome indeed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think there's something nicely modern about the design of the stockless anchor as well. It looks um, it looks very beautiful, I think. It does. It's sleek, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me anything about... Um, it, it, how he got the prototype made or that that early process of of proving that an anchor design was successful his diaries i've got all his diaries but unfortunately i can't i find them very difficult to read because they as in those days they wrote sort of horizontally and then vertically across across ah, right, so, yeah. crisscross yeah yes so it's difficult to read I, so all i've got are his records and his reports of the tests of of them and then all the different trials that they were sent to commercial shipping as well as naval shipping to try them and they would then the captains would have to take them away for a few weeks and and test them um on their voyages i tell you what trish one of the things we have with the mariners mirror podcast is a very large number of extremely interested very kind and generous people many of which are very very good at reading old handwriting and I suspect that if we gave them a challenge of helping to decipher William Wassony Smith's um, diaries, then uh, we would definitely get some some positive responses. I've looked at diaries before, where, as you say, that you you have writing one way and then writing another way, and it, it it's almost impossible. But it's um it's like one of those three D drawings that once you stare at it long enough, suddenly it all begins to make sense. Um, and I reckon we'd get a good result. So um, uh, let's uh, let's. Oh, that would be really. F- Good. Yeah, let's get a call out and see if we can find out a little bit about um, this early stage of it. Because they're looking at the history of anchors, there really isn't much written about it, and, sp- and certainly not about specific anchors. So I think we're sitting on a bit of a gold mine of original history.
history there. Uh, maybe if we can get someone to do a PhD in the development of the stockless anchor. That'd be very exciting. Well, I've got all the material because I've got every single anchor that was made. Um, it went on the Kaiser's yacht um, to the um, oh, the Imperial Portuguese government um, ordered them. The Russian government. Oh, and Mr. Vanderbilt, um, his the biggest yacht ever built at that time in America. He he ordered them as well. So mm. they've been all over the world. Yeah. So I mean, in terms of the impact, the effect of his design, can can we can we uh, say anything broadly about about what that did? Well, I think the fact that you still see them today. Yeah. I mean, when we were in Portsmouth and we saw the uh, Queen Elizabeth, the new aircraft carrier, their anchors still look like the stock. Uh, the, they're still the stockless anchor, which is. Uh, you know, and they haven't really, apart from tweaks, and and he kept on in making little improvements in his lifetime. So, but the general design is still the same, which makes me very proud. Oh, good. Well, I'm, I'm delighted. So, and so it should. Have you got any nice portraits of William Wastony Smith around, standing next to one of his anchors, or is he one of these these people who kind of vanished in time without any any visual um, kind of uh, similarities? Yes, um, we've got um, paintings that he did when he was in the Navy. He painted the islands and we've got his charts that he drew on his naval journeys. But I think he was one of these very private people. He had a big family to support and he just worked. Family memories are of quite a severe person, just that's all he did was concentrate on his business. But he loved horses. He didn't have time for sports. He loved horses. Uh, my uh, Great aunt remembered going to see him, and he always had sugar lumps in the pocket, a pocket in his tailcoat, Aww. to give his horses. <laughs> That's very sweet. He sounds like a bit of an anchor of a person himself, a very solid, very strong man. But um, it's always nice to know he had a, uh, some 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 sugar lumps in his pockets. Um, yes. Trish, it's a wonderful story. I think we're going to. Um, try and open this up and find out more about it and the history of anchors because they're so important to maritime safety i mean you can't you can't have a successful maritime world and all the trade we see now without dependable anchors and i think um it really does need a a, a bit more investigation just what you said just then was exactly how he opened his application for the initial patient actually was to, for the safety he said so many lives were lost at sea because of faulty anchors and that was one of his driving forces for developing the anchor for safety and loss of life. That's fascinating, and I'm not surprised, but it's also a good way of making a strong argument for uh, for the need for something new to make people stand up and listen. I guess that was the real problem with um, getting a patent registered. You have to get people to realise that it matters enough uh, to grant a patent. Fascinating stuff. Oh, I just thought one of the... Um, th I was looking through for... Because I like people's stories. And one of the nice anecdotes that I have was his diary when he was in the Navy. He was in the Pacific Station going from um, Valparaiso up to Vancouver in the 1860s. And he describes um, visiting Vancouver. And he wasn't very impressed because he said the tree stumps were still along the main street <laughs> uh, where they'd cut them down to create, to make Vancouver. And I just thought Vancouver is such a big international city now. I like that, that visual yeah. image. It's, it's fascinating. And I also like the fact that he didn't like it because I yes. think he was quite a neat person to design an anchor without a stock. You're very good at seeing things which are superfluous and um, and in the way and not necessary. And I think uh, that's what he was doing walking around the streets of Vancouver. It's a wonderful story.
So what we're going to do now, I think we will have some of these letters read out. Right. Among Trish's archives are some truly fantastic letters written to William Wastony Smith by naval officers from all over the world who were trying out his anchors and reporting back. Here's a few of my favourites. This one is an anonymous one from the navigating commander of one of HM ships. We were three years on station and we invariably used your anchor in preference to the Admiralty anchor on account of the shallow water. We rode out several Pamperos with the single anchor. All I know is that during Pamperos we have ridden at single anchor when other vessels had their anchors down and dragged. To show the value of a stockless anchor, my present ship has lost two anchor stocks lately and temporarily lost an anchor by cable getting round the stock and becoming wrenched to breaking strain. From the commander of one of HM ships. With regard to your stockless anchor, I always come to when I anchor with it. As on my first using it, I found what a good bite it had on waiting. I've never had a foul anchor with it, and I believe in its holding powers. From the captain of one of the largest vessels in HM Navy. Your anchor was considered a very good one for a turret ship by us, and we preferred it to the Martins. I made an official report of it in which I said that we had ridden out an unusually heavy typhoon by it with only 50 fathoms of chain out. We dragged 500 yards in about 10 hours of darkness. But you will understand that to be with only 50 fathoms out in 12 to 14 fathoms of water was bad seamanship and would never have been done but for the proximity of another vessel and the fact that during another typhoon when more chain was used and a second anchor let go, the precaution was not needed. On the occasion I speak of, there was no heavy sea, and we were more sheltered, but the wind was extremely violent, and one of Her Majesty's ships dragged across the harbour with three anchors down. It is now desirable that catting and fishing should be abolished, and the anchor hove right up into our anchor chamber, where they would be secure, and whence they could be let go. So a stockless anchor, if efficient, would have great advantages. From R. Inglis of Cunard, received January 1884 and 1885. I can testify to the very excellent qualities of your anchor and say that in my judgment it is the best anchor ever made. I have the testimony of our captain of the steam tender, Shermersher, to the effect that he has worked your anchor ever since the vessel came round from Glasgow and that it is the best anchor he ever had to do with. It never fails to bite the ground and never drags. He says, with 45 fathoms of cable, he never has any anxiety however hard it blows, in whatever or however strong the tide may be. Thank you all so much for listening. Now, don't forget to check out this video and all of the other great videos on the Mariner's Mirror podcast YouTube channel. Please also leave us a review on whatever app you are listening to us on, particularly if you have an iPhone. Please leave a review on iTunes. It really, really helps. The more ratings we have, the podcast becomes easier to find, more people can learn about maritime history, and that is, of course, why we are here. And if you do leave a review, I will read it out. Here is one from TBEBCM.
All things maritime, something for everyone. What a fantastic podcast! Thank you very much. Each episode presents a different and often overlooked aspect of maritime history with fascinating guests and a lively conversation. Although some subjects are quite technical, they're always explained. So not only are you being entertained, you also learn a thing or two as well. Definitely recommended for those in love with the sea and its history. Five stars. Well, thank you very much indeed for that. Here's another one um, from FLK 2013 Titanic Inquiry series. Just wanted to say briefly that the Titanic Inquiry mini series is very interesting and well made. Five stars. Well, thank you very much for those reviews. Please don't forget that this podcast comes from both the Society for Nautical Research and the Lloyd's Register Foundation. And do all that you can, please, to check out what those brilliant institutions are up to. You can find the Society for the Nautical Research at snr.org.au. UK, where you can join up. You don't have to pay. There is a free level of membership, but I would encourage you to part with a few pounds because it's entirely worth it. It's a wonderful way not only of finding out all about maritime history from the very best in the world, but also a wonderful way to meet people. And the Heritage and Education Centre of the Lloyd's Register Foundation you can find at hec.lrfoundation.org.uk. And I'd encourage you, please, to check out the latest brilliant project, Maritime Innovation in Miniature, filming the world's best ship models with the very latest camera equipment. It really is astonishing. <laughs>